It's at the letters for Friday, October 6th, 2023. Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson Smith, our producer, is Christian Ryan Ben. The Blue Jays season is over. You've had about 48 hours now to process it. How are you feeling? Oh man, tired, honestly. I, I think like it's an adrenaline crash because September was a ride. Really, August, September, you know, there were not a lot of days off. There were a lot of high stakes. It was a pretty intense period of time. I, as anyone who listens to At The Letters knows, I thought the Blue Jays were going to advance. I said Jays in two. And it just was so far from that. So on so many levels, as far as travel, as far as getting organized, as far as just the emotions of the last few days, I feel an adrenaline crash. I feel like it's kind of, you know, it's it's a real difference now compared to what it was a few days ago. Yeah, it's interesting. Like for me, I've just kind of carried on like i'm gonna i'm gonna be covering the uh the nl side of the playoffs through sportsnet which is really exciting like i am recording this from atlanta as we speak ahead of uh philly's braves and later today i have to go to a workout ahead of that nlds and like um i think that of the four nlds series this is uh definitely the most interesting one so yeah. i'm feeling really fortunate and lucky to be here to, to watch it and get to cover it but uh you know i am kind of curious if you know when my playoff coverage is done if i'll feel kind of like a, a similar crash or just like a, a similar kind of uh detox or come down uh after uh you know this is all over i feel like i haven't had a, an opportunity to have that that moment like you have yeah i think the highs and the lows were so intense in the course of that really the last stretch of season for the Blue Jays, really beginning with the Rangers series and going on from there, just the emotional roller coaster was so intense. And then in that series itself, and we're, you know, we're not a shortage of topics today. We're going to get to a lot on the podcast, obviously, but that series, it just had so many highs and lows. And it's like, this is where, you know, the Blue Jays at some point, they're going to transition into off-season mode and they're going to start making decisions about what's next. Some really big decisions about this team, but for anyone around it who is in a decision-making position, like you've got to grapple with a lot of emotions right there. And I'm, you know, just a couple of days out. I remember it was the same thing last year because it was it was really it was a difficult loss for the Blue Jays against the Seattle Mariners. I would say this loss against the Twins was even worse because they 100% did it to themselves. But yeah, it's a time where you have to grapple with those emotions and separate the emotions from the decisions, but also acknowledge the emotions for what they are. Because I think at this point, you know, especially when you're, we're talking about Blue Jays fans and the experience of being a fan here, man, that is a tough, tough couple days for Blue Jays fans. Well, it's 27 hours the entire season. Right. And for the second year in a row, it's a it's 27 hours in the postseason and it's over. So it is like an, an insane rush and like quite a cliff to drop off of after. Um, I don't know how deep down this road you want to go, but like now that I've seen the three game series in play a few times, don't love it kind of falling into the camp of restructuring this thing and either going back to having it be just a one game series or maybe building some sort of like a double elimination tournament if that would even be possible or just playing a proper five game series and finding a way to to do that because like these three game series I mean it, it was really stark this year with all four of them being sweeps but um, I don't know. There's something kind of kind of cruel and unfitting about it for you know the the teams whose seasons have ended here. Yeah, I, I'd be open to changing the format. I I don't particularly like or dislike the format. I think it's 
probably looks worse than it is in years like this where you have all sweeps. Um, if you get to a game three, it probably feels better. But what I keep coming back to with this one is if you're the Jays and you want to avoid the pain of a wild card loss, win the division. You know, that's an option. It's that's an option that you have. And I know they're trying, but like that's the Baltimore Orioles did it. Like some some of these teams avoid this pain by winning enough games in the regular season and performing to their capabilities. But Ben, a team in this division won 99 games and had the exact same postseason outcome that the Blue Jays did. Not saying it's easy. Not saying it's easy. (laughs) Never is in the American League East. You know, like if you won 100 games in this division, you wouldn't have finished in first place. Like I, you know, it's, I don't know, I got a million thoughts about how we should blow up the divisions and like structure baseball entirely differently than, than we have. But yeah. look, this is neither the, the time nor the place. We got to talk about what happened to the Toronto Blue Jays at Target Field. And there's like a million things to talk yeah. about off of this series. But I almost just want to like get the big one out of the way. Like I just want to confront. The pitching decision, the Jose Barrios decision, the John Schneider decision, the front office decision. Let's just do that, like rip off the Band-Aid, get that out of the way. Is that the reason why the Blue Jays lost game two, lost the series? No, it is not. But it is like a just massive inflection point coming off of this series. And I just want to discuss that and just do it. And then over the back half we can get into some of the more nitty gritty and some of the finer details of what actually happened. That sound good. Sounds great. Yeah. I think, you know, decisions are a huge part of sports. I think it's why I actually like football and baseball the most, um, or like watching those sports the most is because, you know, I'm amazed at someone who runs like a, you know, whatever it is, a 28 minute 10 K, but like, it's not like they're making decisions the whole time. They're just performing at an incredible, incredible athletic ability. Whereas in baseball and football, you get these decision points constantly. And so, It's really fun when it works, and then when it doesn't, it is absolutely excruciating. So yeah, let's do that. So let's start like in the moment, because as this was happening, um, you and I and Shai were sitting there in in the press box at Target Field, and it even starts earlier in the game when Yusei Kikuchi gets up, um, you know, in earlier innings and is throwing, and we're kind of talking to each other like, all right, what's the thinking here? Like, we're trying to think ahead with the club. Like, what are they going to do? Is Kikuchi like really throwing with effort is he just going with his routine is he just getting like 40 percent of the way there like is like what's going on and then in the fourth inning when he got up early in that inning i mean even as that inning was beginning we kind of looked at each other knowing how often kikuchi had been up prior and said oh he's coming into this game like he's not up again just to stay loose like he is up now to come into this game and we immediately looked down at our lineup cards our score sheets and it was pretty obvious when he was going to come into the game and we all kind of knew like this is very likely what the plan is and what's going to happen and then lo and behold john schneider came out to make that move and like in that moment as we were following along because it's important to like state how we felt about it in that moment i didn't like it in the moment, my thinking on it has evolved since. How did you feel in the moment? How has your thinking evolved since? Well, it has evolved a lot since then. And I, I'm even going to dial it back a little bit further because I wrote about this that morning. So morning of game two, we knew the Blue Jays had lost game one. We knew it was a must-win game. So I wrote on sportsnet.ca, I said, it makes sense for the Blue Jays to go to the bullpen early. I wrote here, quote, 
That doesn't mean forcing the issue with Barrios is absolutely dealing, but it does mean being open-minded if he's anything less than dominant. So going into the game, my thinking was you want to use the bullpen heavily. You do not want to overexpose Jose Barrios. And to me, going into the game, knowing that Jose Barrios allowed an 850 OPS third time through the order, there was no chance, no matter how dominant he was, that he was going to face a 19th batter in that game. He could do two times through 18 batters. There was no shot. That's how I was looking at it. Now, in the fourth inning, Okay, so at this point, you have Royce Lewis coming up. He had just struck out the side in the third inning. My thought was, okay, you have Kikuchi ready. You're going to let Barrios face Royce Lewis 100%. And at this point, you've got, you know, something like seven batters that he might face. That could be a couple more innings. You're not going to see Barrios pitch into the seventh in this game the way I was looking at it. So Max Kepler coming up. I said to you and Shai, I would let him face Max Kepler, but it would be sort of batter to batter. Kepler's a lefty, and in my mind at that point, it was, you know what, you have to be prepared. If Kepler hits you know, 112 mile an hour home run into the second deck, you have to be prepared to go to Yusei Kikuchi, and I really believed that. And so at that point, when they go to, after he walks Royce Lewis, which wasn't a horrible walk, it was a competitive walk, after he walks Royce Lewis, my thinking was, at that point in time, I didn't hate it. I would have let him go longer. I would have let him face Kepler. I would have let him continue to prove himself and see because his stuff was really good. Would he have been able to get some more outs? But at that point in the game, I was thinking, all right, it's it's early. I thought it was early, but I thought I could sort of see where they were going. I did hate it in the moment. And my thought in the moment, and I remember like saying this to you and Shy, was take the bird in the hand rather than the one in the bush. Like what you have on the mound right now is Jose Barrios looking at least something close to the dominance that you described in your piece. I mean, his velocity was up. He was locating to the edges. His pitches were moving a ton. You know, the hardest hit ball in play at that point was 95. Only two balls in play over 80. I remember looking at all that stuff with with you and Shy and saying, like, there is really measurable evidence here that this guy is dealing. That is the bird in the hand. And the one in the bush is a guy in Yusei Kikuchi who you are thrusting into, like, not... You know, a completely foreign situation because he has come out of the bullpen before. He did it a year ago, but certainly something that he is unfamiliar with lately, a situation he hasn't faced in a year. And also a guy in Kikuchi whose fastball command had been inconsistent over the last several weeks of the season, who had gone away from his fastball in a really big way, who had struggled in September, and also an athlete whose temperament you are very familiar with. And you understand that you are thrusting him into a very pressureful spot. You understand how routine-oriented he is and how meticulous he is in the buildup for his start. And you understand how he has responded to pressure in the past. So I just felt like there was a lot of risk in the move. Again, this is in the moment. I felt like there was a lot of risk in the move. I felt like if you know if you were bringing in like Jose Alvarado or Andrew Miller, that's one thing. But I felt like what you had on the mound at the time was better than the option that you were going to. So those were my yeah. those were my like live reactionary thoughts. Yeah, totally. And OK, and I think, you know, within that, there's some really good points made. And so, you know, I guess at this point, I'll, I'll sort of, you know, 
build on that and explain like how my thinking has shifted because as as time has gone on here, I've reviewed the video. I've had the chance because of course we're watching, you know, kind of slightly up the first baseline, you know, couple hundred feet up. Like you're not exactly watching every breaking ball. And since then I've had the chance to review the footage. Man, it was pretty nasty. You know, what what Barrios mm-hmm. was throwing there, it was it was pretty nasty. So that informs that a little bit for me. And I've also had the chance to look at the numbers in even more depth. And furthermore, I've bounced this off people in the game. And, you know, is I'm sure you've heard this too, Arden. Like, you talk to anyone who's remotely old school, they hate this. <laughs> they hate this. You know, I got people saying, like, it's a joke. This is embarrassing. Like, people hate this move. And I, I do think, too, like, I, I want to acknowledge from an aesthetic standpoint, it definitely sucks. Like, we all... We all prefer to see Aaron Nola go seven. We all prefer to see yes. Zach Allen go eight. That I think that's kind of beyond debate, but we're talking tactical here. So I've talked to people within the game, even on an analytical side of things, and people who are very, very much, their background is analytics, their background is they work in analytics departments. Even people in that subset of Major League Baseball employees didn't like the move. And I'll, I'll give you some of the some of the reasons for it and explain why my thinking has shifted from uh, this is a little bit early to actually this was a mistake. And this was this was an error. This was an unforced error by the Blue Jays collectively. So can we like yep. let's take a second to explain the Blue Jays thinking then behind yeah. the move, right? And yeah. so just to, you know, and you went over Brios gets hit hard by lefties. He has yeah. all year gave up a big OPS to them. He is seeing Kepler at Al a second time, right? So yep. it's it was going to be uh, Kepler, Kirilov, Correa, Walner, I believe was how was how it went, right? So you know three out of four lefties, met, you know a couple of them who mashed righties plus Correa, plus yeah, <laughs> Carlos freaking Correa, right? You already have a runner on via walk. There's there's one on. There's none out. The Twins hit for a ton of power. A homer there could be disastrous. Like that could be where you lose that game, considering your offense, considering how infrequently you score. So, like, part of the strategy, yes, was to optimize for matchups against those lefties, but it also was, hey, the other outcome here is that Rocco Baldelli takes those lefties out of the game. And maybe you have a less than ideal, like, matchup with righties versus Kikuchi, but. You're now getting like Donovan Solano for the final two to three plate appearances instead of, uh, you know, a Kirilov, right? Like you're now getting, um, it ended up being Willie Castro instead of Farmer, but like you ended up getting Willie Castro rather than Matt Walner for the final two or three plate appearances. Like that sets up better for the Blue Jays bullpen which is right-handed heavy, or at least some of his best relievers are right-handers. You eliminate those lefties from the game. They can no longer be used. Your bullpen is set up better. And from a true talent perspective, you would rather have a Solano in there than a Kirilov or a Castro than a Walner. So the Blue Jays are figuring like it is a win to have Solano and Castro coming up two or three more times versus your bullpen rather than Kirilov and Walner versus right. Barrios, who gets hit by lefties, and then also up against your right-handed hitting bullpen. Yeah, I think that's part of the thinking. I think also, you know, you could look at it from an analytical perspective and say, like, by, you know, the numbers, by the the book, you know, by Tom Tango, if you look at this stuff, just because a pitcher is dealing through their first 12 batters is not necessarily predictive that they will continue dealing 
later in the game. And Jose Barrios is a living, breathing example of that in the sense that there have been other games this year where he's throwing 95 and he has nasty breaking stuff two times through. And then the third time through, it doesn't mean that he is going to be as effective. Okay, so I I think that's part of it. And furthermore, if this is just we're playing devil's advocate here, like to anyone listening, I'm going to get to the point where I I say that I disagree with this. So don't worry to anyone listening. I'm not I'm not trying to totally defend it. Somebody on this podcast might agree with it. So yeah, and and that's totally fine. And I think too, like as a as a total aside on this, I like the idea of being like at least open to it and then, you know, reaching a decision one way or the other. So let's at least be open to this concept, okay? Which um, you obviously are, Arden. I'm not saying yes. otherwise. But, um, okay, so here's another one. So you get through those three hitters, right? You have Kepler, Kirilov, and Correa coming up. At that point, if the Twins go to a right-handed hitter, the Blue Jays then would ha- have the option to go to a Jimmy Garcia in theory. And I would say, like, Walner is actually pretty good. Getting him out of the game that early is a win for the Blue Jays. Like, Willie Castro is not the hitter that Matt Walner is. So all these things are in play as this is happening. So I guess from that standpoint, you those are points that the Blue Jays would have considered as they were mapping this out. And look at what we saw them do, by the way, in game one, right? Kevin Gosman went four innings and was lifted at 73 pitches after striking out the side. Kevin Gosman looked as good as he had in that final fourth inning, and he was lifted. Eric Swanson came in to pitch the fifth, the earliest he's entered a game all year. I mean, this is clearly like something that strategically the Blue Jays were going to do in this series in each game. And the pitching plan for game one was effective. And was well managed, right? Like beyond Swanson, you then got like Tim Mazza against the pocket of lefties and Chad Green versus righties. Yanis uh, Cabrera forced Edouard Julian out of the game. You had Hicks at the end against the heart of the order. Like the way the Blue Jays approached game one, I think was really instructive about how they were going to approach game two. And it actually worked really well in game one. And, you know, I'm eventually going to get around to arguing that it actually worked pretty well in game two. well i mean yeah and and look the biggest biggest problem in this is the jays bats were totally totally absent from this entire series one extra base hit like so we'll get to that that's a you know we'll We'll get to that in a few minutes but um okay so i'm gonna explain like a little bit where my thinking has changed and why i think it's a mistake so at this point you're going to yusei kikuchi and i think yusei kikuchi is a good pitcher I, i have no problem with using yusei kikuchi in a big game that's that's not it but Barrios versus the lefties, okay, it's not great, but neither is Yusei Kikuchi against righties. And if you look at Kikuchi's numbers against right-handed batters this year, they're not good. He allowed a 774 OPS and 16 home runs against, sorry, that's Barrios against lefties. Kikuchi, 756 OPS allowed, facing right-handed batters, 21 home runs allowed. So comparable numbers, neither is a situation that you're that excited about. So given that choice, you're going to have, you're going to lose the platoon advantage either way. You know how Rocco Baldelli manages. You know that they're going to line change it. You know that you're going to see Solano and Castro or Farmer, some sort of right-handed hitters there. So you're losing the platoon advantage either way. To me, when you know that Barrios is dealing, when you know that his stuff is as good as it is, you need to stick with the guy whose stuff it is against a bad platoon versus a guy where you don't know what you're getting against a bad platoon. Yeah, that was my thinking in the moment. Absolutely. 
I was with you there. The thing that I've like had the opportunity to kind of think about since is like not only some of the numbers for Barrios versus lefties, but it's the numbers for Barrios against lefties the second time through. And like this is what this is one that like when I really teased this and interrogated it, I just had a hard time getting around this particular sample. So I don't know like how to use either Savant or Fangraphs or anything to give me a pitcher versus lefties a second and third time. Like I don't know how to isolate that. If someone out there does, please do it and put it on the internet because I think it's only going to further support the the point I'm about to make. What I did was I ran Jose Barrios against lefties um, from the fourth inning on. Like this is the closest that I could get to. So Jose Barrios against lefties from the fourth inning on this year across MLB faced the fourth most lefties from the fourth inning on. This is a sample of 211 plate appearances. This is one of the largest samples we have in MLB of any pitcher facing lefties from the fourth inning on. Here is how those lefties did against Jose Barrios. They hit 316. They had a 374 on base. They had a 585 slug. Left-handed hitters versus Jose Brios from the fourth inning on this year were essentially Matt Olson. Like the, the yeah. same line. Jose Barrios allowed 14 home runs to lefties from the fourth inning on, second only to Lance Lynn, who allowed 15. Like yeah. I just, to me, Jose Barrios dealing on the day, looking as good as he did, great. Home runs, they can come in a heartbeat. It is a, a miss of centimeters that can cause a home run. Just because Jose Brios was dealing the way he was for the three innings prior did not mean he was going to continue to. Things could change in a hurry. And just this information, like this evidence that we have over a significant sample in 2023 to me, is it's just unacceptable for me to have like that be the matchup that I am playing in such an important game. I think that Kikuchi fresh against righties is preferable to Brios fatigued, even though he was pitching very, very well against lefties a second time. So those numbers are really interesting. And I think those numbers are are worth kind of keeping in mind. And this is where, like, at the time I was thinking along these lines, right? And I didn't have those exact numbers in front of me, but I knew that he wasn't good against lefties, and I knew that he struggled third time through the order. So to me, even if you get to the point that you're like, look, Jose Barrios has done his job. He has been amazing. We're going to take him out a batter too early as opposed to a batter too late. Like, I can get to that point. However, I still have two reservations with how this all unfolded. And to me, it's still a mistake. And so I'll outline those those hesitations that I have here. One, clearly, if that was the plan, which seemingly that was the plan going in, um, seemingly there wasn't any room for Barrios to convince the Blue Jays with his stuff that he was going to you know, deserve to stay in the game any longer um, because his stuff was elite. So clearly it wasn't a question of what his stuff was doing. So if that's the situation, if that's the game plan, I'm not saying you broadcast that externally through people like ourselves, but internally you have to make sure that that plan is understood and known going into that game by the guys in that room, most importantly, Jose Barrios, but also even, you know, position players like Kevin Biggio calling this confusing afterwards. 
Vlad Guerrero Jr. saying the Blue Jays need to get better at decisions. These are really, really important players in this team. Whit Merrifield saying he hated it, which who cares? You know, Whit Merrifield's gone. But, you know, this was obviously not communicated to the players in that room. And I refuse to believe that that doesn't matter at least a little bit. So that's my one thing. And then secondly, if you're going to make that substitution, which again, I'm open to the idea that it was time to, you know, start thinking about getting Barrios out of that game with all those lefties coming up. And and again, I would have let him face Kepler, but you know, you have a lot of lefties. You're, you're in that point in the game where it's almost batter to batter. But even in that situation, in hindsight, looking at the numbers, I think Tim Mesa made a lot more sense because Yusei Kikuchi hadn't pitched out of the bullpen in a year and Yusei Kikuchi is not that good against righties. So, and then also if you go to Mesa for three, Castro pinch hits for Walner, boom, you go to Jimmy Garcia and then you have right, 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 Jimmy Garcia. So I, I think that even if you're going to make that change, I think Yusei was the wrong guy. I'm here for the Mesa argument. It would depend on like who you f- prefer against righties, Kikuchi or Mesa. Um, yeah, it sounds like you would prefer Mesa. I haven't looked that deeply into it, but like to, that would be to me like what would that would come down to if you went to. But like I'm, I'm totally here for going to Mesa in that spot rather than Kikuchi. I think he would have been a, a better bet to um, get good results there. But here's the other thing: you say Kikuchi got good results there. You say Kikuchi got three ground balls. Like yes, he walked Solano, but the first batter he faced. Kepler, he gets a ground ball that if it is hit like just, I I don't know, a foot closer to Kevin Biggio is probably a double play. He walks Solano. You don't love that. But then he got two more ground balls. He actually got three more ground balls because Correa had the grounder that ended up a single. Then Castro ground ball, double play. Jeffers ground ball to end the inning. Like the move worked. Kikuchi got the ground balls. Yes, you gave up two runs, but Jose Barrios was one pitch against a lefty away from giving up two home runs with one going over the fence. We're talking about the guy who has allowed the second most homers to lefties from the fourth inning on in MLB this year. A guy who lefties from the fourth inning on are Matt Olson against. What did Matt Olson do? crushed a ton of homers like you could have gotten to that same outcome two runs scored just as easily with jose barrios out there i thought that honestly the plan worked like kikuchi got the ground balls you got weak contact on the ground that's what you were looking for and and i think like i'll say this i don't think the plan backfired like well it okay it backfired i I don't think the plan like it's not like kikuchi came in and allowed three home runs right like it wasn't it wasn't atrocious however I would dispute the idea that it worked. I think if you walk Donovan Solano to load the bases for Carlos Correa, it you've done something wrong. You've you have not it has not worked. And I I agree the the ground ball to Biggio was borderline. I don't think it was close to being a double play. I mean, maybe they get one out at first base on that ball. Um, and I think anytime you're facing Correa, bases loaded, elimination game, I don't think the plan has worked. I mean, ground balls. <laughs> like if yeah. if that like you what what else are you like yeah it would have been great if he had like struck everybody out and definitely the walk was unideal and the walk was not as competitive as Brios's walk earlier in the in the inning to Lewis which like by the way Brios approached Lewis the way you want him to approach approach Royce Lewis yes. he did not give in yeah. like that's part of why in the moment I hated the move 
as well is because I'm like, yeah, like you are seeing a little hiccup from Barrios here, but what did Kevin Gosman do twice in game one to Royce Lewis? He fell behind and he gave in. And what did Royce yeah. Lewis do? He hit two balls a very long way. Uh, the you know like the only two extra base hits the Twins had in the series. By yeah. the way, uh, uh, Royce Lewis home runs off of Kevin Gosman fastballs and never should have been thrown. Uh, Jose Brios didn't make that mistake. Like he didn't give in. Like yes, he nibbled to Lewis, but Lewis is the one hitter in the series who was even remotely a threat. I thought that was a, a very competitive walk. At the same time, like I, I liked Kikuchi's results as well, getting soft struck balls on the ground. Listen to At the Letters ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I am sympathetic to some of the cases that you are presenting here because I liked that the strategy was sound. And the more I've thought about it, the more I actually agree with the strategy and the tactics. I don't like that it was inflexible or it at least appeared to be extremely inflexible because the plan did not appear to adapt based on like live dynamic information, namely that Barrios was dealing Um, and that he was like, for all the reasons that we cited, like was not giving you legitimate warning signs. I mean, like the stuff was electric. The location was great. He wasn't giving up hard contact. Um, the like eight whiffs on 25 swings. He had like, he had swings on nearly half the pitches he threw outside the zone. Like twins batters just could, were not following along with him. Like he, he was ahead there. I also didn't like that the strategy did not factor in the human psychology element of it all, which I think you're getting to at, you know, a, a little bit here, which is like it's it's almost kind of impossible to consider ahead of the time or even in the moment because like it's just impossible to quantify. But like Jose Barrios is someone who you traded two top prospects for who you extended for 131 million dollars like the second biggest contract this franchise has ever given out like what like why do you invest all of that in him at all if not to make postseason starts of at least two trips through if he's pitching well and beyond that like you have shown like a real lack of trust and faith yeah. in him like you, you you have like a considerable lack of agency for the player to like convince you that he is the guy to be in that position like that lack of trust like that is felt by him that is felt by his teammates we can't quantify that there's no number that you can put on it and there's no in-game like tracking of emotion (laughs) right like there is with velocity and with location but essentially like there was no fashion in which Barrios could have pitched to prevent that move like I don't know how he could have been pitching any better and that in itself tells all of your players that your actual in-game performance does not matter uh we have already determined like what your value is and what your contribution will be and there is nothing you can do to change that um, and I could see that being quite demoralizing for the human being in the center of that. I'm not convinced that's how you like inspire an athlete to provide their best performance. Yep. And I think that that has after effects, not just in the moment in game two of that wildcard series, but that has like lasting 
impact lasting after effects going forward into future games, future seasons, future situations like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because to me, like you're losing the platoon advantage either way, right? The twins have a pretty good lineup. It's pretty balanced and they've done a good job of setting it up in such a way that either Barrios is facing lefties or you bring in a lefty and none of the Blue Jays lefties are good against righties. Kikuchi is not good against righties. Mays is not great. He's okay, but Mays is not great against righties. Yanis Cabrera is pretty bad against righties. So it's either a lefty who struggles against righties or a righty who struggles against lefties. So you're losing the platoon advantage one way or the other. To me, in that situation, you go with the guy who's dealing. You go with the guy who you know has brought his A stuff that day. But I guess the counter to that would be you are gaining platoon advantage the next two times that like Solano and Castro come up. And you have taken two of Rocco Baldelli's best options against right-handed pitching. Your bullpen's all right-handed, completely out of the equation. They are eliminated. Right. They cannot re-enter the game. So you are, yeah, perhaps taking a slight loss now in terms of uh, matchup advantage to gain a considerable one later on multiple occasions. Yeah, that is the trade-off. And I, I you know, to me... My final verdict here, and I'd love to hear yours. To me, my final verdict is the Jays messed up. They, they messed it up. They, they made mistakes. This was not good. This was not good strategy. This was not good process. They messed it up. I think that in a long-term human sense, they messed it up. I think that in a cold, calculated, black and white, win that game at all costs, put yourself in the best possible position to win that game sense, I think they got it right which is fair and, and and i'm glad you're saying that because no one else is saying that and to me sports talk is boring when everyone has the same opinion so i'm, I'm actually glad you're saying that i think they made the right tactical move to win that game okay okay but and to play on thursday even if you're going to take barrios out why not go to mesa and that's where i keep coming back sure. it's like you know it so then it's still a mistake because you're asking a guy in kikuchi to come in and you know we saw him warming up there in the first inning it's like he's not totally comfortable in these situations there's also his psychology here which is like he had this great year and then now you put him in the position of being not the scapegoat because the scapegoat's obviously schneider or atkins or someone else but he did allow those runs it's it's not ideal for his psychology certainly so i just think you go to mesa because mesa's numbers against righties aren't great but they're not bad and mesa's someone who is used to coming in mid-game yeah and i i think that's fair i i would have been fine with seeing mesa there if you were to do this again if it was if if the keys were in your hands and you're trying to win this game for the toronto blue jays and you don't know what's going to happen but you have a you, now we've considered all these different factors how would you handle it if you if you could go back and do it again i would have lifted brios for tim mesa Fair. That's what that's what I would have done. Yep. And at the Kepler at bat. But here's the th- actually no. Honestly, dude. Yeah. I wouldn't have had the stones to do it. Yeah. If I'm like just to, to be completely candid with you, yeah. I would not have had the fortitude to walk up those steps and remove Jose Brios from that game. Sure. So like if I'm if you put me in John Schneider's shoes, no, I'm not lifting Jose Brios cuz cuz I have to remember what I felt at the time. And what I felt in that moment, which was emotional, what I felt in that moment was I hated it and I didn't like it and I didn't think it was a good move. I have now since like removed a lot of the emotion and looked at it from like a much more um, just detached, I guess, viewpoint and have come around to actually liking the move and understanding it. 
But yeah, so if you're asking me, like if I had to go back, like the thing is you have to consider what you would do in the moment. And in the moment, right. I would not have done that. Okay, but right. And, and that's that's totally fair. But I think, you know, the moment has passed. So now we're kind of reconsider. I'm not asking you to put on Schneider's Jordans and go out there with his welling 14 <laughs> jersey, you know. Uh, but, you know, knowing what we do now, like you and, and you don't have to actually make the change. You don't have to pull the ball out of Jose Barrios's hand. But what do you think was the right move? So I think it was the right move. I think it gave the Blue Jays the best possible chance of winning that game. And I think that that is all that matters. To go to Kikuchi, though, or would you have gone to, or do you think Mesa, Mesa. is the move? Mesa. Yeah, I think okay. Mesa would have been the better move, but I may not have considered something with the Kikuchi decision that, like, I could be persuaded on either one. I think okay. ultimately, like, the the exit like the big like tipping point in the move is removing Barrios, right? So, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's the big one. So that's the big one. And ultimately, yeah. like if I had to go, I do think it was the right move. I think it put the Blue Jays in the best possible position to win that game. Okay, interesting. And like I think it's good because everyone else is dunking on this move. And I think like it's I I, I find it interesting that you have a different take. So that's you know that's first point there. For me, if I'm looking at it, no, having thought about it now, and now I've asked people with different teams about this, and I've thought about it and looked at the video and all this stuff, to me, I would have Tim Mays already in the bullpen. I would have Jimmy Garcia ready in the bullpen. Those guys would be warmed up. Yusei Kikuchi can throw if he wants. He's not coming into this game for me right now. Then I would have Jose Barrios continue to face Max Kepler and probably continue to face Alex Kirilov, but I, I'd be looking for Rockets. And if he was allowing really loud contact, knowing the numbers that you cited about lefties fourth inning on in the game, I would not hesitate to pull him out. The leash would be short, but I would have let him keep going with the, with Meza and with Jimmy Garcia warmed up. And Max Kepler might have hit that rocket. And yeah. you might have had And you'd be down to nothing, which is where the score ended up anyway. Right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, an elimination game in a wild card series has to be managed very meticulously very yep. differently you have to be like you have to be ahead of it you have to lift one or two buyers too early rather than one or two too late because that's yep. your season your season is in that decision i agree and i think too like the the other thing i would add here and the other reason i think that this was a mistake this was an unforced error by the blue jays and they 100 percent got in their own way here is they did not communicate this well enough internally and it's costing them because what are the players thinking about this offseason? Like, I'm not saying they're all sitting around like mulling this decision over the way we are because um, they have a knack for moving on from these things, but it doesn't help. It doesn't nudge it in the right direction and I don't think they communicated well enough internally or externally around this move. And that's fair. Um, and there's probably like something to be said for like, obviously, you're not going to communicate externally ahead of the but time. But after, after you could. <laughs> right? and, and, you know, I'll be curious because like I think there's room for the Jays to say, look, we actually have to reevaluate our process here because it didn't work. Yeah, I wonder what they'll say. Yeah, I, I'm just speculating. I bet you they're pretty convicted in the move that I they bet made. they are. And I, <laughs> cause I think they thought about it a lot. And uh, I think they talked about it a lot. And I think they believed that time was the right move to make. And I bet you today they still do. Um, and like, obviously, like I said, you're not going to communicate externally. Could you communicate it more internally? Yes. Does that imp- like put your players in the best mental state going into the game? Or is it better that they are just like playing free and playing until like you tell them that they're no longer playing? You know what I mean? Like with that put a bit of a seed of doubt into their head would that impact performance like i do have a question of how communicating that plan to them ahead of time considering look if it's unpopular after the game it's going to be unpopular prior to the game 
Um, and even if you had told players that this is you were likely to do this, I think the players still would have hated it because of how dominant Barrios looked, regardless of whether they understood the plan or not. And look, if it works, no one cares. Players right. wouldn't care. No one's talking about it. And honestly, it, it did work. Then it uh, didn't they allowed like, two runs yeah. in the game uh, to one of the best offenses in the American League, uh, like I, to the I, team I that hit the the team that hit the most home runs in the American League did not have an extra base hit in that game. Yeah, I, the I pitching know, strategy man. worked in game one and worked in game two. I don't think it worked in game two. I, I don't know. Mm. I, I can't. You say allowed it two runs over eight well, innings. I, I'd say the pitching was good. I'd say the pitching was good. I would say the pitching strategy was bad. I think that... Like, and that's the opinion of other people who are who have nothing to do with this, who have no stake in the game. Who have yeah, no, I, like, I got you no know. stake in it either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like I, it's hard for me. It's hard to not... And, and maybe I'll view it differently in three months because my opinion has changed on this. And like... I'm open to my opinion continuing to change on this because, like, who knows what direction oh. it's all going to go. Um, but I, where I land right now is, man, this is a mistake. I think that when the stakes of the game are so different, the tactics have to be different. Like, when the stakes are so dramatic, like, the tactics have to be pretty dramatic. And you have to think about the fact that the strength of your team is pitching. And this Blue Jays team wasn't necessarily built on like high-end Cy Young caliber pitching. They had one of those guys, and Kevin Gosman. That guy wasn't throwing in this game. The strength of this team's pitching was the depth and quality of its staff, 2 through 12, excusing Gosman. So I think it makes sense to have a strategy and to have tactics that lean into that and that maximize that strength. Like you've had trouble scoring runs all season long. You're not a mashing team. The runs are at a premium in the postseason. You haven't been hitting home runs at all. You know how many runs are scored by a home run in the postseason. You can't expect to score many runs. Like you need to minimize the runs the other team scores to have any hope. You yeah. need to do everything you can to prevent runs as well as possible because if you allow four or five, history suggests you are going to lose. So the Blue Jays, I think, did everything possible to limit runs on the other side. Lo and behold, the Twins scored five runs in the series. Yeah, and and the Jays pitched well. There's no question about that. And and I think no one's saying no one's saying that you shouldn't operate differently from a strategic standpoint. The question is more: Do you let Barrios go more than three innings? And you know, no one's saying he's going to go seven. No one's saying he's going to go eight. But do you let him go more than three? And to me, a yes, you do because he was dealing because his stuff was that good, and you have to have some willingness to to lean in when his stuff is that good. Then B, you have to communicate it better if you are going to take him out internally, especially. And then C, even if you are going to take him out, you have to go to Mesa, a guy who's done it, as opposed to you say, a guy who hasn't done it in a year. So for me, those three reasons, I'm kind of like, they messed it up. I think that another reason why, like high up, they would still be okay with the decision is that, like, if you were going to commit to, like, playing probabilities and to doing things this way and to maximizing matchups and trying to always like win on the margins, put yourself in the best possible position. You have to be consistent with that. Like part of the design behind probabilistic decision-making is behaving that way consistently over time. Mm -hmm. Like the entire system is designed to remove emotion and remove like the subjective feelings and all the things that happen in the moment that like you and I were grappling with in that moment. Look at how much each of our opinions on it has changed yeah. since. And both of us, by the way, are still allowing 
that our opinions could evolve still. And my, it's only been 48 hours. My opinion might yep. be different come spring training, just like you said yours might be. I am totally open-minded to being persuaded off of my position right now. But that's the whole point of like doing things this way, is to just remove emotion and to remove the subjectivity. And I think that only works if you are consistent with it and bought in over time right like what like if you know it's like it's not perfect comparison but you, like you're sitting at a blackjack table and the dealer's showing a five and you got 14 you stand on that yeah you don't like you don't hit in that situation every once in a while just because you feel like it or just because you're emotional after losing a couple hands or because well, like the, but... the, the the dealer's hot <laughs> well you shouldn't then, right <laughs> like just because of something that you kind of believe like you stand on that 14 every single time you don't deviate. And yes, obviously we're talking about human performance and not a deck of 52 cards, but the like information that has informed that decision-making came from human performance. And yeah. it is the best information that we have and it is the best way we have of quantifying these things. Human performance produced that data. So like that's another reason why I think like up top, they're probably okay with the decision. Yeah, well... I think they may well be, but uh, they're out of the playoffs. So that's the end of the story. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're out of the playoffs because they didn't score here because they scored one run in 18 innings and had one extra base hit. We've already gone too long in this, but just the, I did want to offer thoughts on John Schneider's role in all of this because there's sure. you, people do call for the manager's head after yep. something like this happened. And there's been like a lot of debate over what the role of the manager is in um in the modern game. And like this does this gets back to like what I was just saying about like how I think a front office would think about this. Like a front office doesn't like build all those all these systems, all these structures. They don't invest in all this data, all this technology, all the human resources. Like they don't commit to this type of decision making and this type of process to then have the guy who has to execute that like just fly by the seat of his pants or just reverse that and just be like ah actually i feel like doing this you install a manager who is bought in right and who will execute on what you believe organizationally puts you in the best possible position to win so like john schneider did his job I don't yeah. think that John Schneider deserves any blame here. Well, yeah, the, he is part of a collective. There's no question about that. He is part of a collective. And you could see and hear after the game how torn up he was about this and about the loss. And, you know, he's a baseball guy, meaning, and, and that's like, that's that can be really like vague and euphemistic. And I, I guess what I mean by that is John Schneider has been around the game his whole life. And there are sides of that where like he understands the the player side of this, like the on-field, the coaching, the old school side of this. But I think also there's baseball people are also very analytical. And I think he understands the analytical side. And I think that there was probably a real tension just in the way that you and I have gone back and forth on this, Arden. I bet John Schneider's, I know, if, you know, I, there's yeah. no doubt he's gone over this countless times in his head since then. Um, but to me, like when I look at John Schneider in this, I agree it's not him. He's part of a collective. But I actually think like, and I think he can be a really good major league manager. I, I actually believe that. Um, I think he can be like a really, really good major league manager. Uh, but I think he had a down year. I think he had a bad year as a manager. And I think this is part of it. I think Manoa, you know, it just that never worked. I think you look at the some of the decisions, some of the, I just, you know, managers, I've said it before, managers can have slumps too. And I think John Schneider can be a really good manager, but I don't think 2023 was his year. 
I agree with the first part that John Schneider can be a really good manager. I I don't just I I don't agree that he had a bad year. I think that and we I don't know, we, we won't get I into mean, the entire season. I don't think he would say it was a great year for him. Let's just talk about this very decision. Yeah. Like I think John Schneider actually made the hard decision in like I think he did the hard thing here yeah. in taking Jose Brios out. To me, like trying to put myself in issues, the easy thing to do would have been to leave Jose Barrios in there. And then if Jose Barrios gives up a two-run bomb to Kepler or to Kurilov, which would have been like totally unsurprising outcomes given what we know about Barrios versus lefties in general, versus lefties the second trip through, mm-hmm. um, the Blue Jays lose 2 nothing as they did anyway, but they lose 2 nothing because of that bomb. Like Schneider takes zero heat publicly. No one's calling for his head to roll. He gets up in front of all of us after the game and he says, hey, Hosey was dealing and he made one bad pitch. You know, there's only one pitch he'd like to have back. Them's the breaks. You know, thought he had some of his best stuff of the season out there tonight. And then even up the chain to the front office, Schneider can say like, hey, he was dealing and we talked before the game about the scenarios in which we would let him continue to pitch. Um, and I promise you that that conversation happened and that among the coaching staff, front office, analysts, everyone, there was definitely a conversation of here are the like subjective elements that could impact what we do in that moment. Like he- here are the things that we could be seeing live that would allow us. To do we know that that happened? Plan. I have to believe it did. I, I don't I know that to. that happened. I don't know. Like I'm not saying it didn't. I just don't know that it did. I have to. If it didn't, that's a big problem. Yeah. Like, like if it didn't, that's a massive flaw. But yeah. to me, it's like too obvious of a flaw for people who I believe are intelligent to have committed. You know? I Yeah. But the results, as far as their decision making, didn't seem very flexible. It seemed very rigid. So I'm not saying it didn't happen. I just, I, no one told me I think me that's because Schneider did the hard thing. Like, he I think definitely could have, right? Like, he did the thing that he knew would be insanely scrutinized if yeah. the Blue Jays lost that game. And ultimately, like he charted his team to allowing two runs against a lineup that led the AL in home runs, yeah. like a lineup that averaged like five runs a game during the regular season. He held them to two runs. Like, yeah. That's a good outcome. So I think he well, actually made the hard move and he made the move that like produced the, the desired results in that the opposition scored only two runs. Obviously, you yeah. lost the game and that's not a desirable result. But you should be able to beat the opposition if they score only twice. You know, part of the reason, too, that I think Schneider had a, had a bad game is like, again, and I know we're going to get to this and I know we've got to step aside here. But, um, you know, part of this, too, is stuff like base running. And they were a bad base running team all season long. And their base running was really bad when it counted the most. And that is a reflection of the manager and the coaching staff to some extent. So when I look at this game as a total, I just can't sit here and say John Schneider had a good game. I think that... In many ways, like the modern MLB managers in just an impossible position where you're like navigating these extremely perilous waters of managing up to the front office and managing down to a clubhouse yeah. and trying to assert your own beliefs and like just trying to find the balance between those poles, like all those stakeholders. And it's like the ultimate curse of middle management in any modern organizational structure, right? It's like you get caught between the desires of upper management and like the realities of lower level labor. And like it's awkward to apply this to baseball because actually players earn a lot more than front office executives. Yeah. But put that aside, like you, you know, like people pleasers get kind of chewed up in middle management because you can't be a people pleaser in both directions. Like one or the other is going to dislike your decision. 
Um, and when you try to please both simultaneously, you actually end up displeasing both. So Schneider lifts Burrios, he pisses off his players. He leaves them in, he pisses off management. I mean, like ultimately he has to answer to both and try to like maintain the respect of both. And then, oh, by the way, try to message those decisions to the public immediately after it happens. Like it's just like an incredibly difficult position managers are in yeah. in today's game. I think that John Schneider navigates it about as well as anybody could. He navigates it a whole hell of a lot better than Charlie Montoyo ever yes. did. Um, and I That's think that, that in, in this, in <laughs> Ben, I think that, think that in this situation, he did the hard thing, and I was impressed by that. I think there's a lot of conviction there. And I think, again, I think nothing that I've seen from John Schneider says to me he he won't be a good major league manager. Nothing that I've seen says that he doesn't have everything that it takes to be a really good major league manager. I, I just, I didn't see it, you know, and it's a results business. He's 0-4 in the playoffs, you know, the team won 89. It just, it wasn't a good year. It wasn't a good year. This is like the beautiful thing about like about sports and about, you know, situations like these. It's just like how passionate and emotional you can get about them. Like, look how emotional yeah. you and I are getting in just yeah. the last couple. Like, Charlie's catching strays for no reason, <laughs> right? Like, oh, man. he's sitting at home, you know, playing bongos. <laughs> like, he doesn't want to, he doesn't deserve no, any, you know, any oh, of this. Well. And I know I, now we really have to step aside. But as you know, as you and Shy, man, I, I was Hunjin Ryu was catching strays. Oh. George Springer was catching the takes I had about Hunjin Ryu in that press box. Oh, well, they will not be repeated here. No, I mean, like it's it's emotional times, man. Yeah. Emotional moments, and so that's how emotional we are. Just observing it. Imagine like being in the trenches. Like imagine being part of it. Like imagine the emotion that players are experiencing. Management coaching staff you know like support staff like everybody that was part of that moment that was on the field of play that was making decisions that was on tv like in those during those games like that's a lot of emotion and i think that and we're gonna step away and get to this like a lot of what the blue jays have to do next and going forward is just stepping out of that pressure cooker and like taking a very objective view at what happened why it happened what can be done better going forward like i think that's turning down the volume over the next couple of weeks is like one of the most important things to do. All right. Well, Ben, that was a lot. And I kind of feel like we should let that live, let that breathe, let that be the Barrios decision pod. And let's record another one for early next week. So if you're listening to the Barrios decision pod now, as you obviously are, because this is that podcast, we'll do another one for early in the week of the ninth, where we go over what else we thought of that series and cast ahead. How's that sound? Sounds great. Can't wait. And also just a big thank you to everyone who's listened this long in this episode and really stuck with us all season because it was a tough year for Blue Jays baseball. No question about that. But thanks to everyone who's stuck with us throughout this entire season. 1000%. Thanks to our producer, Christian Ryan, whose uh, workload we are uh, doubling <laughs> right now, uh, which is certainly not something that uh, he expected. So uh, thank you to him. Uh, yeah, thank you to all of you for listening. But yeah, we got to talk about how this team scored one run over 18 innings with one extra base hit, which uh, is probably the reason why they lost the wildcard series. So that is what we will discuss and what we will cast ahead to next time that uh, we talk to you early in the week of uh, October 9th. But for now, for Ben, I'm Arden. Thanks to Christian. Thanks to all of you for listening. This has been At Flutters. Flutters.